Seb, what's your favourite example of good design? As you know, Joe, I am a bit of a sports fan. Um, and as you also know, sports teams regularly, well, every single year pretty much, they bring out a new kit. And the idea of this is presumably, I've not been in a sports team to understand their marketing strategy, but I presume the reason is that everyone buys the new kit. Now, my favourite design is actually the most recent England kit, um, England cricket team kit, where they introduced um, a real, a sort of pink stripe across, I guess, roughly the stomach area of this previous kit that had been dominated really by blue and red. And um, it was so striking because often the kits are, um, as, as many of our listeners will know, really quite minor revamps of a very traditional colour kit and it's almost offensive to try and be sold this uh, minor tweak minor on tweak. last season's yes, model exactly, for another 30 quid or whatever it might be but this this pink kit that or pink stripe introduced into the England cricket kit was a fantastic design innovation um, that I absolutely loved it's like a, maybe a more graphic or visual um, type of design yes but uh, they've probably flogged some kits eh? uh, well they sold me one <laughs> This is the Circulate Podcast, broadcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, so today uh, we're going to be talking about design on the Circulate podcast. Uh, welcome back. My name is Joe. I'm the editor of Circulate and joining me, the voice you heard, the cricket fan, cricket and donut fan, if you heard last, uh, last, the last episode of the podcast, is Seb Reed. Thanks for Hi, being Joe. here, Seb. And coming up today, we've got a conversation with John Mider. It was recorded at the end of last year. John is a bit of a design legend He's formerly of MIT Media Lab. He's the president, uh, former president of Rhode Island School of Design. And now he's at a startup called Automatic, which I hadn't heard of, but I had heard of the, uh, the, the, the tool software WordPress, which is uh, Automatic's main product, and WordPress, which runs so much of the internet now. Um, Seb, this design-focused conversation... Uh, what did you get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you actually were in I, the room, so I was listening the room. to re-listening to you and your conversation with John. I mean, one of the things that was interesting. So, uh, you know, if there are designers listening, they probably will know some of John's work. I think it was something laws of simplicity or something like that. What was quite interesting about that conversation was how honest he was about his journey through design and how, in some ways, he dismissed a lot of what he'd previously done or what he'd become famous for. Um, and obviously the centre of the conversation is his notion of three types of design, which maybe we won't give away too much about, but essentially what he's now working on is this thing, that, that automatic called computational design, which he sees as this this next uh, great... Uh, what word am I looking for, Joe? Um, I think it's the... Maybe it's the next evolution of design. Yeah. And, and as you say, let's not give too much away, but he pretty much talks about the design of stuff, um, beautiful things may be sculpted or, or hewn out of uh, pieces of metal or wood um, to design thinking, which is where people get the post-its out and design business models. Um, 
And this next phase, computational design, which is the world of algorithms uh, and 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 designing for for everyone, I think he says. Um, and for me, why this relates to how this might relate to a circular economy um, is the way he described computational design. I understood as really how you might design systems, um, and as we think about the, the circular economy as a um, system shift I started thinking if computational design um, might be a tool in the in the arsenal for for designers who might help accelerate that transition um, Seb if people didn't hear last time uh, let's just give a quick recap this uh, conversation with John was one of the headline sessions at the disruptive innovation festival which is uh, so the diff is a three-week online festival of ideas that seeks to shift mindsets and inspire action around the circular economy and other key trends and topics um, about the future of the economy, focused predominantly on designers, business, technological trends. Um, and it asked this sort of broad question um, in 2017, what if we could redesign everything? And we'll be sharing some of our favourite sessions uh, from the diff in coming episodes of the Circulate podcast. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, please uh, rate it and share it on Twitter or uh, with all your friends and family so they can tune in. And with that, on with today's episode, enjoy this conversation with John Mider. This interview was originally recorded as part of the Disruptive Innovation Festival. You can find out more at thinkdiff.co. So let's think of these as our little uh, starter or our hors d'oeuvre on the, in the topic of design. So, John, what is your definition of design? Well, I've been at this sort of borderline between art and science for a while, like design and engineering for a while, since, um, since the 80s, actually. So... Each year, my definition of design has, has evolved, but now I have a pretty simple definition, which depends upon your context. Um, the design and tech reports are things I launched at South by Southwest with a little team at Kleiner Perkins, and each year, we're now in the fourth year, we work to define design in the framing of the tech industry. And there's basically three kinds of design competing for attention. And that's kind of the problem. You have one kind of design I call classical design. Classical design is that old school style of design, designing with your hands and your mind and Johnny Ive, insert Bauhaus, male authority of design goodness. Uh, it really dominates the education field. And then there is design thinking, which is something that has captured the intention of large corporations. It's more of a management consulting technique to unlock innovation in a stuck organization to reconnect with the consumer. Because the larger the company gets, the further away it gets from real customers. And the third kind is computational design which is design that I was fortunate to be early involved with when I was at MIT at the Media Lab, bringing together people who were good at engineering and good at design and just making stuff that no one really understood, 
but now is very commonplace. Things that change on the screen, things that fly around, things that morph, things that adapt. Uh, this is a new kind of design that uses computational media. It doesn't, this here uses sort of paper, rock, concrete, metal. This here uses the fabric of people, organizations. And this uses the fabric of anything involving computing, sensing, the new things that have emerged on our, on our world stage and are disrupting everything. And is it a case, I mean, this, this segmentation is, is fascinating. Is it a case that one as replaces the other? You see, you see every year design changing. Is, do, do the older versions, does classical design become less relevant? No, they're, 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 they're all existing right now concurrently. They're all, the problem when you say design is it gets very confusing to people. Uh, it's because these three definitions are still here. Not, n one isn't replacing the other. It's just they're all different flavors of design. I like to say that the word design is poorly designed <laughs> because it's so darn confusing. Uh, that's it. It's like duct tape. Do you know duct tape? I'm not yeah. sure in Europe if you have no, duct tape. No, we have tape. duct tape. <laughs> but we have to, duct tape goes everywhere. So design goes everywhere because it's so many things. Um, this kind of design produced a lot of value during the Industrial Revolution. You know, things were being made, manufactured. This kind of design has come into the foreground in our post-manufacturing world, where we're making we're much more services-oriented. We're asking questions about the people involved in the delivery of people-based services. Uh, this kind of design is brand new because it's post-industrial, it's post-services, it's basically highly automated type of things. And so you could argue that this will dominate in the end. This will essentially destroy, quote-unquote, uh, all these other types of design, but now I think we humans will resist that change. So there are always going to be people who believe in classical design. There are always people who will need organizations, belongingness. They'll need design thinking. Uh, but computational design will continue to move at a, at a rate that we all are having difficulty comprehending because it's powered by Moore's law thinking. Moore's law being the doubling of transistors every year to year and a half. So things are getting twice as good uh, every year to year and a half, which is um, not normal. And you mentioned about the um, kind of the, the human part of this and the, the, the role of individuals. Um, you've been involved in teaching design and admittedly a, a confusing term, as you pointed out, at schools and universities. Um, some might say we're all designers. In fact, we've had, we've had speakers at the DIFF before that say if you, uh, if design is the first signal of human intention and we, as soon as you uh, change the world to, to meet your needs, you're involved in the design process. And design tools seem to be becoming more accessible. Um, is design something that uh, we can all play a role in? I mean, computational design sounds pretty hard compared with classical design where maybe anyone could start sketching something out and having, having a go. Um, well, I, I'm not really involved in teaching design. I think that's like a misnomer in a way. I think uh, I stopped teaching these kind of things in the 90s after I realized I had nothing to teach. <laughs> I, realized, I was like, whoa, wait a second. 
the world's changing so fast. I have to get into the real world. So I, I, I've like left that type of thinking that I have anything to, to convey. Um, I, I'm in a learning, I've been learning for the last 10 or so years about what civilization is and how creativity and the possibility of making, whether it's making things the old way, making things with organizations, or making things with computation. Um, what I have to come to the conclusion around is that this kind of design is holding us back because it doesn't involve computation so much, uh, but consumers are discovering it. Like you, you describe yourself, like uh, maybe, maybe Joe, you're not a photographer, but you've got this like thing in your pocket or your bag or whatever, and it's like, that's a good photograph, Joe. And you're like, hey, I'm a photographer. Or like, you know, you're sitting there and you like, you know, press a few buttons and suddenly you've got like a banner, like a web banner or whatever. You know, it's like, whoa, I just made an ad. And so what's happening is that a lot of classical design skill is being emulated by computation. Therefore, putting in the hands of consumers. And what you'll see is people who are classical designers will say, Joe, you're not a photographer. You're not a designer. Go home. Because um, that's the way this world operates. It's mm -hmm. a little bit snobby. But in reality, Joe, you're like, hey, this is a good photograph. <laughs> this is a good ad. Uh, I would say feel comfortable knowing that you're leveraging what's happening here. Um, for those people who choose to stay here, I'm totally okay with that. But I caution anyone stuck here because this world is stuck in a world uh, where it believed that men create everything. Uh, I'll give an example. You ask any person who loves classical design, name your top 10 favorite designers. They're all going to name generally men. It's because that's the whole doctrine. It's been taught the old way. But Joe, you're like a modern person. You've got your beard, your stylish beard. <laughs> you know that half the world is women. So how is it possible for an entire field to leave out half the other world? And how can it be actually an amazing field? And this picks up Existing on your, your, um, your current role around, around inclusion, which we, we're going to delve into a bit more in a few minutes. And, and let's just talk about um, uh, a, a previous phase of your life, which I know um, is, as you say, you mentioned at the start, is you, the ivory tower days, the laws of simplicity days. Yeah, that was, um, were like really good days. <laughs> happy days in the Shire, in Lord of the Rings terminology. <laughs> so, so my pipe with whatever was inside there, and just kind of like having my ale, my you know, my hobbit ale. It or sounds whatever. idyllic. It sounds beautiful. It was wonderful. I would fish every day. Fish. <laughs> so, admi admitting that that is in the past, ten years yeah. on from Laws of Simplicity, are they still relevant? Is there a reason that you've left them in the Shire, or or what would you change about them now? Oh, well, you know, a lot, of, a lot of how I thought is still valid, I think, because I was thinking in terms of this, classical, and I was thinking in terms of computation, because I understood where computation was heading. So I wouldn't say like all of the thoughts in that are useful. I think most of them are. Like once in a while, I'll go back and like read the book and like, whoa, did I really say that? <laughs> did I write that? 
oh, that's kind of useful. Or like, huh, I don't know if I would say it this way anymore. Um, but in, in my later years, I began focusing on leadership because, you know, maybe you figured something out, but how do you lead it to action is actually much harder. How do you move an organization towards something? Uh, that's how running a college was a very helpful lesson for me because I learned how to lead at scale. It's kind of like, you know, Joe, you can like talk to anyone in the world this way, but if you don't have a team of people working with you, figuring out the audio and the video, whatever, you're going to look just like some YouTube kid in the basement. <laughs> but your team is making you look awesome. Thank you. Um, and that's the difference between someone who can just make things versus someone who can actually lead it into existence. But a leader isn't very good unless they understand making because then they have no empathy for those who they work with. That's why I still stay active. I still write JavaScript. I still edit web pages. I still do everything myself um, because I believe that's a way to stay, I guess, um, a more hands-on leader. Uh, uh, even though when you get older, you tend to become more hands-off. I've resisted that desire to go back to the Shire because I went to the Shire too young. So... <laughs> which I'm kind of like running around, you know, shireless. It's, it's pretty good. And, and the, when you talk, start talking about teams of people or um, uh, yeah. running a, a college, and it seems that those sorts of systems might be more complex. And um, I guess in, in putting forward the case for simplicity, you were in some ways choosing simplicity over complexity, but it seems like some of the problems that we face as a society, as an economy now, are incredibly complex. Um, do we now need to embrace complexity to try and tackle them? Oh, oh Joe, that's why you're that's why you're Joe. I see it now. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I well, the thing about the laws of simplicity is I framed it as you don't know simplicity unless you know complexity. Right? It's kind of like if you had vanilla ice cream all your life, you would never know it's vanilla unless you had chocolate. So I think simplicity as an idea is important to keep in mind um, in context, in frame with complexity. And the problem with complexity uh, because of computation is maybe simplicity doesn't change a lot, you know, but because of Moore's law, it's just moving so fast that it just moved off the screen. It like shot up my, through this building, etc. So that complexity, if you ignore, you are ignoring at your own peril. So I think as I came out of the ivory tower and that kind of organizational world and went to Silicon Valley, I was able to see rockets flying all over the place. And I began thinking, wow, I saw the world this small. Now I see it this big. Um, and I can say that that complexity is not stopping. Uh, that said, if you sit there and eat complexity popcorn all day long and watch the movie, I mean, the first thing you're going to like, you know, wake up and tweet is like machine intelligence is coming, blah, 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 the robots are coming, because you live in that, <laughs> it's the complexity of it. So I think I was lucky to have uh, been in that. I, I'm, I'm lucky to sort of like straddle both. Mm -hmm. 
the power of complexity and the and the and the joys of simplicity and find meaningful ways to connect them through people, through organizations. And that's why I wanted to join uh, a late stage startup running at scale to see if I could pull them together organizationally, these kinds of ideas. And, and is, that the, is that how you would advise um, designers out there who are trying to navigate this kind of complex, changing, evolving world, um, would you advise them to get out there and experience a, a load of different things in the same way you have? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, oh, you reminded me, like, I was very lucky to have some amazing teachers. And I just, you just reminded me how I had this typography professor, this professor Nishikawa. And, you know, when you're like in your 20s, you're looking for Yoda. Yeah, Yoda's gonna look kind of old usually, right? And like, I was like looking for Yoda, and like there was Yoda, it's Preston Ishikawa, he was like Yoda. You know, he was like in his probably his late 60s. When you're younger, you think everyone's super old, but he was like in his 60s, maybe early 60s. And and I just really admired him. He was like crusty and you know the old-fashioned way, you know, you know how Chihold will do it, or like you know Herbert Byer books, you know, all over your bathroom, and just kind of like you know Bauhaus embodied, you know, and and I really admired him, and he was a total like old school typographer. And one time I was like having a lunch with him, and he said to me, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be just like you. I want to be a classical typography, a typographer, you know? I want to like cut type the old way. I want to sit there where, you know, figure it out like, you know, how 0.001 points is different than 0.002. I want to sit there and stare at the rag. You know, I want to like look at it with you. Know, and, and I'll never forget how angry he was at me. He was just so angry. I thought he'd be like excited. Like Yoda's like, oh good, you want to like, you know, follow me in, in this like old way. He said, no, he said, you're just, you're so young. So you should do something young with yourself. Because don't forget the classics will still be there when you're older. It's your job to embrace what's new. And it was like a big light bulb. And I realized, wow, huh. Well, you know, I went to MIT, I know computer science. I'm, art school was idyllic and lovely and odd and strange. And I was embarrassed to say I was a computer science person. But then I said, well, oh, maybe I'll embrace this diversity that I represent. And I went out and bought a Next computer. Steve Jobs had just announced a Next computer running Display Postscript. I pulled it out and started running software. And it was amazing because the problem with being an engineer is you you can build anything, but you don't know what to build. But because I was in art school for so long, I realized I knew exactly what I wanted to make. So whatever program I wrote, it wasn't like aimless writing software. It was like, I need this program to do this. And that unlocked a lot for me. So what I'm saying is that if you're, if you, if you're younger and you think you want to live in this classical bubble and like set type and you know, carves things out of wood and whatever, you better hope you have a trust fund where you can like, you know, do that. But if you aren't, you're going to fail. 
most likely, like 99%. Yes, the one, maybe the 0.1% is going to like make it be discovered, etc. But, you know, that's, that's some kind of strange Hollywood thing. If you stay in here when you're young, you're not going to realize that this thing is moving at light speed. So come out here, embrace this. Don't be afraid of it, because if you're afraid of it, then you're just going to... Um, you're going to lose out in all the possibility. I can just imagine in my 20s, if I stayed in that world, I probably would have been really happy, but I would have been irrelevant uh, every year. Um, happily irrelevant, maybe. <laughs> and you talk about the um, embracing, the embracing this change, embracing te technological change. And it seems at the moment there are many... Uh, many people out there, many people watching who might be a bit nervous or apprehensive about some of the change that we're seeing on the horizon with things like technological unemployment, um, society seems to be changed through things like self-driving cars and, and so on. Um, where do you stand on that? We just got a note of optimism, but is it, is it unbridled optimism? Optimism? Well, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic. I will, I will say that I, 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 I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatic optimist. So I will, I will temper it with like, you know, I, I don't think everything is going to be rosy. Well, you know, this, this notion that, you know, we hear about, you know, AI or we hear about flying cars or we hear about, you know, one thing you notice is once you start looking at, what's his analogy? So like, uh, Joe, you like to eat, maybe? I like to eat. Some I like people don't to like eat. to eat anything. You like to eat, right. So, so there's that moment where you're, you start asking yourself, like, what am I eating? Where is it coming from? And you realize that if it's coming from the same place, it's going to be the same, right? Like, let's say you like uh, tapas or something, right? You eat tapas every day, it gets kind of boring, right? The first time is pretty awesome. <laughs> And after a while, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to delicious tapas again. Okay. And so you realize, like, maybe I should, like, change it up, right? And we're like, hey, let's try some, like, Indian food or Malaysian food or any kind of food, right? You start imagining what happens if you have different food. But, Joe, if you ate, like, you know, like, super hot curry every day, all you know is like hot stuff. Like, oh my gosh, this food's pretty hot. This food's so hot. And so I think in the in people who follow technology, you gotta look at where it's coming from. And you'll notice one simple fabric, one common strand. And again, this is something that a friend taught me. She's an engineering leader. She was saying, look at everything you're doing and ask yourself if half this half the people you're talking with are women or not. And this is a really simple thing because it's just biologically, you know, it's not a social justice thing. It's like rationally, if you're respecting everyone's opinion and you want to hear their opinion, if you're not hearing half of the opinions coming from women, then you're kind of like only hearing half of the world, you know, and you can apply that to every possible, like, well, if I'm only listening to people who are British, I'm limiting myself. If I'm only listening to people from Africa, I'm limiting myself. So how diverse sort of sources are you getting so i would ask anyone who has who's saying oh my gosh did you read elon musk blah 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 you know <laughs> elon musk elon musk or whoever insert the 10 other pundits 
who tend to be Caucasian males. And you think to yourself, like, why am I taking all everything from them? What are other people saying? And yes, of course, there are women who will talk about AI taking over the world. I'm not saying it's limited to, to men versus women. But like, well, what does a person from like a socioeconomically declining area talk about? The last thing they're talking about is AI. Isn't that a problem? Because aren't they, if they're not talking about it, um, there's maybe a sense of powerlessness that AI will happen to them and it will change their life. So, so good, Joe. So there's that phrase you said just now. Isn't that a problem? So whose problem is it? And the question is, do you feel accountable to solve that problem or not? Right? So I feel like a professional pundit can point out the problem, but doesn't have empathy for solving the problem or accountability around it. I spent most of my life in the ivory tower where we could talk about these problems. Oh my gosh, it's a problem. And then gosh, it's a problem. But in the end, you're not accountable to solve the problem. So I would frame it as I've just discovered that what I hear is not from diversified sources. I've broadened those sources. I've gone face to face with these sources. And I'm working to solve their problems because I think the problems are solvable with my engineering skills and my design skills and my business hat on, my PM thinking. And I'm just going after them one by one. Um, I, I'm a bit Don Quixote-esque in this phase right now where I know it's impossible. <laughs> and um, so, we t we, again, we touched earlier about how uh, designers can kind of stay uh, ready to for this complex world that's evolving all the time. Um, what do you think will be the single biggest disruption uh, affecting how design occurs uh, in the next 10 to 20 years? Is it, is it down to this computational design? Oh, it's definitely computational design. It's, you know, the more that these cloud-based services learn about us, the less relevant we become for anything involving patterns. Because the machine intelligence algorithms are just so amazing at learning patterns and then repeating patterns back to us. And we don't know it. Like some of the photographs coming back that are computer generated, some of the text being the, 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 new, the, the new Siri. If you, have you heard how like Siri's voice has evolved from like robotic to like, is that a real person? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, some of the stuff that machine intelligence can write, the writing that can be reduced, some of the videos that are auto-generated by um, these algorithms. So this is a real thing. Um, most creative production will be able to be um, generated by these algorithms. There'll be a huge question about what is good and what is not good, but the reality is to understand how it works, what its limitations are, and can you still remain relevant um, in that new world. And this is, is a good note for us to, to, to almost end on, but what would be your advice, your, your tip for someone listening or watching online for how to, how to stay relevant? If they were gonna go and read or view one thing 
now, uh, what, what would you recommend they do? Oh, well, I wouldn't tell them to read anything. <laughs> I wouldn't tell them to do something. So uh, if you're in the classical design camp hiding in the Shire, you have to leave there if you're young and you don't have a trust fund. Okay? Uh, I would say the design thinking one is an interesting place to be, but you're not making a lot of things. So I would say enter the computational design space, get involved with things like processing, which is a system that uh, two people on my team created a long time ago, uh, Ben Fry and Casey Rees, it's still out there. Get involved with the WordPress community or Drupal. The thing I love about open source is that no one, open source is like, everything is okay to switch. So, so anything involving open source on the content side, get involved with, uh, help to improve the tools and systems. That's what I recommend you do. Make, do more making, do less hiding in the Shire, do less management consulting. Uh, come into this space over here. Thanks for listening to the Circulate podcast. Access the full range of our podcasts from circulatenews.org.